You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Awesome. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13. John 13, we're finishing up a two-week series on humility from the first 17 verses of this chapter in this amazing gospel of John. And I want to start with a little review. How many were here, just out of curiosity, if you were here last week, would you slip your hand up like this just so I could see it all across the auditorium? You were here last week? Great. A lot of folks were here, but a lot weren't here. And I did see quite a few hands that weren't, were not here. I didn't even look in the balcony, so I'm sure there were others. This is a good reason why to do a quick review. And we did five uh, uh, points last week. We're going to do quickly four this week, but ultimately wrap this thing up today from John chapter 13. This begins the upper room discourse. This was a final marching order speech, if you will, from Jesus to his 12 disciples. It was an amazing moment. And Jesus is here and he's having this final conversation with his disciples. He is 24 hours away from the tomb. I mean, that's how close we are here. We're in the last 24 hours of his life here uh, in, in, in ministry. There is no more crowds from here on out. There's no more miracles from here on out. There's no people lined up waiting to get healed. That's all done at this point in John. This is 12 disciples in an upper room. I wonder what Jesus will do. I mean, I'm thinking this has got to be a high moment. He's probably going to give an amazing speech, right? I mean, listen, it's going to be something absolutely, maybe an eye-popping miracle. Just, you know, one for the road, guys. Here's one last one. I mean, listen, I'm coming to the end here. And, and, And you would think maybe there's going to be something extra special. Maybe he'll be transfigured before them in this final moment with his disciples. But what we find in this first section of the Upper Room Discourse is that Jesus washes the disciples' feet. It's absolutely stunning. He he washes their dirty, filthy feet. And so we're taking nine points on humility from Jesus Christ, our great example, and we're applying those to our lives from John chapter 13. We said, first of all, When it's hardest to love, we are to humble ourselves. We looked at John 13, 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. And I love this about Jesus. I love this about Jesus. He loved them to the end. I love that. You see, we have a world full of starters. Starting is easy, finishing is difficult. It's difficult. It's difficult in any area of life. In the area of marriage, half as many can finish a marriage as can start a marriage. And yet, if you are here today and that there has been a a brokenness in your home, may I say this, that we're not talking about what's happened. We're talking about from here on. Love them to the end. Finish well. Let's not use the grace that God has given us as an excuse to sin, but rather his grace is an opportunity to learn. Thank God for his grace. We sang about that scandal of grace this morning. It's an amazing thing. 
And God is calling us here today is to love them to the end. And that's not easy. That's difficult. But when it's hardest to love, humble yourself. We, we said this last week. We said, a bad time for me is a good time to humble myself. Not a bad time for me is a good time for you to humble yourself. <laughs> no, no. When things are tough in my marriage, you know, that's a good time for me to humble myself. When things are difficult at work, it might be a good time for me to humble myself. Because when it's hardest to love, and I would imagine 24 hours away from the tomb, this was hard. Number two, we said when it's personal and painful, humble yourself. John 13, 2 spoke of this supper that they were having together. And during this supper, the devil had put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. During supper, while they were eating together. Very soon, we're going to have Thanksgiving supper together, aren't we? And families will gather together. Some will travel to see their families, and others will have family travel to them. And so we sit around this table, right? And has anybody ever been in that awkward moment at this when the family gathers together and maybe you're sitting there and you kind of know about a sister that's kind of out with the mother and we're both sitting there and everybody's acting like it's all good. But you kind of know something that nobody else knows. You know it's not good and it's super awkward. That was the moment that Jesus had here. At this table, someone had betrayed him and there's nothing more perverse than betrayal. There's nothing more personal than betrayal. There's nothing more painful than betrayal. And I would have had no problem, and probably some of you would agree, with, with, with Jesus just kicking Judas out. I mean, listen, get out of the room. You know, it's, you, you're, you don't belong here. I know what you're up to. But Judas got his feet washed too. Because when you feel most righteous in your indignation, and elevated in your rightness. It's a good time to humble yourself. We said thirdly, to get the big picture. Get the big picture and humble yourself. And just to quickly review, because this may have been the highlight of the message for me. Verse 3 to me is the best verse in the passage. Because Jesus here is speaking and he says, it says that Jesus knowing, he knew something. He, he knew something that changed the game. It was the big picture. And because Jesus knew this, he was going to be able to humble himself. He knew something. What did he know? Well, he knew, it says here, that the Father had given all things into his hands. And it secondly says that he knew that he had come from God and was going back to God. So we refer to this idea that he, had, he knew that his Father had given all things into his hands as authority. Confidence in the promises of God. He knew that. And because Jesus knew this, he knew he could count on the promises of God, that God had said some things, and those things are true. We sang this morning, I will build my life. Do you believe that? Do you believe that his promises are true? Do you believe that you can trust him? Do you believe that, he, he, that everything he says will come to pass? Then with that authority, we can humble ourselves because of what we know. Secondly, it's, he said here that he, he knew that he had come from God and was going back to God. He, he knew who he was. He knew 
how it would end. We refer to that as his identity. The idea that he, he knew who he was in Christ and, and, or who he was in God, who we are in Christ, and we know how this will end. Our identity is so important in, in this concept of humbling ourselves. We understand that we don't have to fight or flee or fix it. We can just fall and get as low as we can and humble ourselves. That's the big picture, and we can do it because we know some things. We said number four, just do it. Just do it. Do it. Humble yourself. We looked at these verses uh, in the text, these next two verses that deal with action. Because we said that humility is not a feeling. You don't feel humble, you humble yourself. It's, It's an action, you do it. For instance, a moment ago, I want everyone here to know that it felt really good to hear some of those things that Brother Lance shared. It felt good, like... That's so good. I feel really good about these children. This is so good that Garland County is doing so well. Oh, I feel great about that. I feel so good. This is such a touchy-feely moment. We're helping children. Oh, that's so nice. They prayed for those people up there. That's sweet. I like prayer. Prayer is good. I feel so good about this. Go out to the atrium and sign up. Humble yourself. That's what humility is. It's saying, you know what? I, I am going to do something. I'm going I'm to act on this. And that's what Jesus did. He didn't just talk about humility. Look at this. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments. Is he actually going to do this? Yes, he took a towel. He tied it around his waist. He poured water into the basin. He washed the disciples' feet. He wiped them with the towel that was around his waist. Just do it. Humble yourself. We said grace flows to humility. Our worship pastor led us in a moment of the awesomeness of God's grace. Wow. It is only because of his grace that we are even taking a breath right now. Let's use that grace. Let's learn. Let's use it to worship him and and to learn from his grace that we might live like he lived and do what he did. And then we said, number five, don't debate. Don't argue, just just humble yourself. We went to the text here in verse number six and it's interesting, I didn't mention this last week because I didn't think about it last week, but I thought about it this week and it's kind of astounding to me that it says that during supper, he came to Simon Peter. There was this moment that he came to him. I'm, I'm kind of under the impression that Simon Peter wasn't the first one, that there may have been others before Simon Peter. And if there were, he got, gets to Bartholomew. He washes Bartholomew's feet. And, and, and probably Bartholomew was like, maybe James. And James was, maybe John. And, but you can see it. He's getting to Peter. It's like tick-tock. Peter, oh no, it's Peter. And Peter just blurts out, you ain't washing my feet. You know, I know you've washed everybody else's feet, but you're not touching mine. I'm not going to let you do it. Lord, do you wash my feet? Can you see here that sometimes taking the place of humility, that there's so much pride in that. You're not washing my feet. I know you've washed everybody else's feet. But you know what, God? I am such a good guy. I'm not going to let you do that. (laughs) 
And in that act of humility or that moment, that feeling of humility, we sense so much pride. Jesus says, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. So Peter says, still, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus then says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no share with me. Simon says, Lord, give me a bath. In a culture, we said, addicted with pride, that we should expect some blowback if you choose to humble yourself. Oh, there'll be some that will argue and fight and complain and bicker and feud. So get ready. When you choose humility, someone's going to want to debate that act. But just replace your stubbornness with humility. Are you ready for the new point, number six? Here we go. Number six, John chapter 13. Don't pretend. Humble yourself. We see in John 13 in verse number 10 that Jesus continuing on teaching Simon Peter in this moment. He says, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And Peter, you are clean, but... Not every one of you. I wonder who Jesus was speaking about. Why did Jesus say that? Well, he told us in the very next verse. For he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. Who's he talking about here? Judas. He's talking about Judas. Well, did Judas get his feet washed? Yes, Judas did. Jesus did wash his feet, but he wasn't ignorant about what was going on. He knew what was going on because Jesus is not a pretender. He's not naive. He's not pie in the sky. He's not a pacifist. He's not foolish. He doesn't have his head in the sand. He knows what's going on around him. We find in John chapter 2, verse 24, Jesus said on his part, he did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed to, no one to bear witness about man. For he knew himself what was in man. You see, humility is not weakness. It's meekness. And meekness is power under control. You ever heard this? Meekness is not weakness. You see, Jesus had the power to do whatever he wanted to do, but he chose not to do it. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. But he chose not to do it. Meekness is power under control. How many of you have have influence in your home as as a dad? God's given you some influence, some authority in your home, and you've chosen to abuse that authority. How many of you have influence maybe in your workplace and you have people under you that work with you and you have the opportunity to influence them, but you abuse that influence? Jesus was strong, but he was meek. I love this statement. If you think meek means weak, then try being meek for a week. It's not easy. Three things about meekness and humility. Again, don't pretend. Don't pretend. Be humble. 
Number one, meekness or humility or humbling yourself is not groveling. It's not groveling. It's not, well, I, I just, I, I beg you. I'm so sorry. You see, never overdo your humility. I'm just scum. I'm worthless. I'm the worst. Jesus washed the disciples' feet, but he didn't lick their feet. Humility is not groveling. Don't pretend. Jesus wasn't naive about what was happening at that table. He knew Simon would betray him. He knew that. Number two, humbling yourself is not enabling. It's not enabling someone. For instance, let's give an example maybe of someone who probably is visiting our church sometime today. This happens all the time. Here's a woman sitting maybe in a situation where her, she is a Christian. Her husband is not a Christian. She's here in church. I'm just using this as an example. not even thinking of anyone, but it could be true. But something like this. Here's, here's a husband who uses the weekend as a time to, to wind down and uses winding down as an excuse to drink alcohol. And so on a Saturday night, he's prone to get drunk. And when he gets drunk, sometimes he gets a little violent, a little mean, a little upset. So I say to that wife, when you're driving home from the grocery store and your husband gives you a call and says, hey, pick me up a six-pack. Humbling yourself is not helping someone else sin. You don't have to buy that six-pack. In fact, you can stand up, but just do it with humility. Don't pretend. Jesus said, not all of you are clean, but I'm not living under some illusion here. (laughs) Okay? He, He knew. And humbling yourself is not manipulating. And this is the one that I think I would be more prone to do. And others maybe would relate to this if we were just honest. You know, hey everybody, let me tell you how many people's feet I've washed this week. Preachers have a tendency sometimes to, you know, it's been a tough week. I mean, I've done it. I've, I've been there. It's been a tough week, church. I mean, got a lot on me. But I'm here. Don't worry. I'm here. It's tough. Accusing humility as a form of manipulation. That's, that's using an act of humility to gain an advantage. That's not what Jesus is speaking about here. Jesus didn't say to Judas, well, now that I've washed your feet, maybe you might rethink that 30 pieces of silver move. I see your pockets are kind of bulging there with all the money, Judas. No, he didn't do that. I think he just let, let, let things play out. Because humbling yourself sometimes means I'm just going to let play out what plays out. Sometimes whatever happens, happens is not a bad thing to let take place. You know, you know you've humbled yourself for the wrong reasons. If you quickly revert to pride, if you don't get the results that you want. That's manipulation. You know, I was humbling myself, but I, I, it didn't turn out right, so I just had to really throw a fit. You know. Ouch. That's, that, that, that one hurts. So num- number six, don't pretend. 
Humble yourself. Number seven, set the example. Humble yourself. Wow. Jesus did set the example. Look what he did in John chapter 13 and verse 12. It's absolutely amazing. When he washed their feet and put on his outer garments, he resumed his place and he said to them, do you understand what I have told you? Remember last week we we referred to this comment, you will understand afterward. When is the last time we actually heard the word understand? Well, if you look back in the text, it was verse 7, where Jesus said in verse 7, he answered and said, what am I doing, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Now, in my life, normally when someone says afterward you will understand, normally... Under normal circumstances, I usually think days, weeks, months, maybe like heaven. You ever sing the song, and you'll understand it better by and by, you know. One of these days, you'll understand. It'll be down the road, weeks, months, years, eternity. You'll finally see it when we get to heaven. And that's probably true. Normally it is. But in this case, it was like four minutes. You'll understand, Peter, just let me finish washing your feet, bud. And when I'm done, you'll understand. He goes on to say in verse 13, when he washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've told you? Verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord. Jesus speaking, pay attention now. You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right. You're right. I am your teacher. Jesus says, I am your Lord. You're right. I am. So, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, drum roll, we're about to learn something, what's he going to say next? I'm thinking he's going to say, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, it only makes sense for you to wash my feet. I mean, I've got the only dirty feet in the room. I've washed everybody's feet. My feet are dirty. Hey, about it. But Jesus takes his humility to a whole nother level and doesn't even mention his feet. Doesn't even mention it. He says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Because the servant often gets lost in the service. (laughs) And that servant is never acknowledged. And oftentimes that servant is never appreciated. Sometimes we, we, we come home and, and we've worked so hard and we've provided the funds maybe to pay the bills and to provide the meal and, and we don't feel appreciated. Well, can I tell you that maybe we should take the position of the unprofitable servant who said, you know, I'm just doing that which is my duty to do. I'm not looking for praise. I'm not looking for recognition or acknowledgement. It's not why I'm doing it. We don't know that Jesus ever got his feet washed. Thus, maybe we need to let go of our expectation that people will see what it's costing us and then thank us. Let go of that. Just let go of it. I don't need the thanks. If it comes, great. But that's not why I'm doing it. I'm not doing it for recognition. I don't need to be on stage. I don't need somebody to to, to give me a gift card. That's not why I did this. I'm just an unprofitable servant. I'm actually just doing what I'm supposed to do. I love John 13, 15. 
This is it. Jesus says, I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Wow. Be an example. Now, sometimes the church has had a debate over foot washing. Should should it be a third ordinance? Is this something, was Jesus saying, you know, do this, do the foot washing act. I mean, wash somebody's dirty, grimy feet in front of everybody. Is that what he was saying? We know that we have the ordinance of baptism. Pictures mean something, don't they? They do. The baptism ordinance is a death, burial, and resurrection picture as we totally immerse someone into the water. And it's a picture of his death, his burial, his resurrection. The Lord's Supper, we just had that about a week ago, right? It's, uh, we take fruit of the vine and, and we take uh, unleavened bread and, and we have a picture of the broken body and blood of Jesus Christ and we remember his death till he comes and we obey that ordinance. But some say, well, let's add a third. And I'm not here to argue that or discuss that this morning at all. That, that, that's... That's not the reason I'm bringing it up. I'm just simply saying that I I think I'm a little more concerned that we really do this. Like not really wash somebody's feet, but really humble ourselves. Like, I mean, on intentionally, on, on purpose, put ourselves underneath someone else. Consider someone else's needs above our own. Not have to be right. I mean, apologize when we're wrong. Take the lower place. We should not think of ourselves more highly than someone else. This is really in the Bible, and we should really do this because it really matters. And Jesus gave us the example. And because he did give us the example, we're supposed to do it. So be an example. Humble yourself. Number number eight. Look at John chapter 13, verse 16. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. All right, you ready for the test class? Easy test. Who is the servant? We are. Right? Who is the master? Jesus. Who is the messenger? We are. Who sent us? Jesus. So we got it right. We we understand the text here. We're the servants. He's the masters. He is the master. We're the messenger. He's the one who sent us. And the servant is not greater. Listen, let's get this settled right now. You are not great. I am not great. We are not great. Only God is great. Let's get that settled. We're not important. God is important. No one here is, but but God is. And that's what I think sometimes we we position ourselves as if we want to be recognized. We're, We're the ones that deserve the credit. We're the ones that deserve the praise. But a servant is not greater than his master. God is great today. He is worthy of our praise. We're not here to receive any praise or glory. We don't deserve it, but he does. Can I get an amen right there? That's a great spot because this is not about me, you, us. It's about him. Only God is great. Number eight, humble yourself. Let's get off our high horse. 
I mean, especially, especially those of us in, in positions. You know, I mean, I, I remember, can I confess that, I mean, I lived in an atmosphere of preachers being on a high horse. I mean, I'm actually somewhat dressed up today. I mean, <laughs> I used to dress up like every Sunday and I used to be around preachers that talked with a steeple stuck in their throat. Hello, brother. God bless you. Glad you're here. Hallelujah. And I'm like, dude, get the steeple out of your throat. You weren't talking like that 10 seconds ago. But when you got on the platform, everything changed. And it's as if we, we're on this high horse. And we, do you know who I am? Have you read the sign? I've tried to take my name off of everything. I used to have my name on everything. I don't, I don't, I honestly, if you find my name on something, call the office and say, I found something his name is on, take it off. I used to have the reserved for the pastor, you know. I get the best parking place in the house. And then God said, why, why are you doing that? That's not humble. Get this thing, walk. So I don't, I walk now. <laughs> walk to work every day. I don't, I honestly, I, I, I was so arrogant and didn't even realize it. I mean, I had grown up in this, in this culture where preachers are supposed to be on a high horse and somewhat better and more spiritual and, and not transparent. And you can't find out that I do anything wrong because I, I mean, I do, but, but I don't. Until I learned that I'm just one sinner preaching to a bunch of sinners, how we can all sin a little bit less. And see, God is great, not, not me. Romans 14, 4 says, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld for the Lord is able. Amen? The Lord is able to make him stand. You know, back in my early ministry late 20s, 30s, early 40s. I don't know. I, I spent a lot of time judging other men's servants. I spent a lot of time around the table talking about the way other servants did it, the way other churches, other preachers. Very judgmental. And in those conversations where it's very, very much not humble, judging another man's servant. Can I tell you, now that I've celebrated my 50th birthday for the fifth time, I find myself, man, I, I'm just a servant of the king, and so are they, and I'm not to judge another man's servant. I'm, I'm just trying to get by myself. And just humble yourself. God can take care of that. God's in control. That's his servant. He'll take care of it. I've learned a lot in these years, haven't I? And, and I pray that you have too. Number nine. In closing, it's an action. Humility is an action. It's not, a, it's not a concept. Humble yourself. I love the finale verse here. This is the first section of verses. In fact, most verses would, most, most uh, versions would, would, would have some sort of a transition at verse 17, right? So he ends it all by saying this. If you know these things, if you know them, Right? I know some stuff. I went to church. Oh, yeah, I was there. I was there on November 22nd when he did the humility thing. It was, it was, it was decent. 
Oh, yeah. I, I learned a lot about humility. I know stuff. I know a lot. I mean, you want to sit down and let me tell you what I know? I love telling people what I know because knowledge puffs up. That's what Scripture says. But read the rest of the verse. Blessed are you if you do them. Interpretation. If you know something, big deal. Big deal. What difference does it make? But happy is the person. And I'm happy for you. I'm not happy for you if all you do is know it and don't do anything about it. But I'm like super happy for you if you know it and then do it. If these things I know don't result in me doing them, then big deal. That's why maybe on the way home today, I mean like, now that you understand, kind of like Peter, right? We don't have to wait a month, a year, eternity. You know, we don't have to wait till we get to heaven to kind of start doing this. No, we can all the way home look at our children, our, our, our spouse, get on the phone and call someone. We mentioned this last week and just say, you know what? I just got out of church. I don't want to wait till I get home. I don't want to wait till next week or till you get here on Thanksgiving Day. I don't want it to be awkward at the house. I don't want it to be weird. I don't want to pretend. I just want to say I'm sorry. I just want to get this, get this clear. I want to humble myself before you. Maybe we go to work in the morning and, and we just make a, a zip line to that person in that cubicle, in that office. Hey, listen, I know it's early, but I just want you to know it's been awkward around here. It's been, there's been some tension, and I, I just want to apologize. Yeah, but it's been, no, no, no. It, I, I'm sorry. Honestly, it's okay. It's, I'm, I just, I've, I've, I've wronged you, and I apologize. Let's do something about this. Let's stop acting like I'm important. Let's stop acting like we're great. Only God is great. Only God is important. Let's just show how awesome he is. You see, if you know these things, learning without doing leads to pride. That's why scripture says Knowledge puffs up. So humble yourself. But where? Where do I humble myself? Three places. You ready? Three places to humble yourself in closing. Three practical things. Would everybody do me a little favor? Can we have an awkward moment in church? Is that okay in the balcony? Let's have an awkward moment in church. Take your Bibles or your phones or your iPads or your whatevers. You ready? You got it? Hold it. And I want you to do this. I'm going to tell you where to humble yourself. Number one, do this. Just put the Bible over your head like this. Just, it's, I know it's weird. I'm doing it. I'm up here. You ready? Humble yourself under the Word of God. God, you said it. You said it, God. I believe it. I accept it. Thank you. Let's do that. Let's practice that. Let's take time and, and read God's Word. And as God's Word convicts us, by the way, it will not condemn us, amen? But it will convict us. And when we're convicted, let's do it. God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. I, I, got, I got it, God. I'm sorry. I humble myself under the Scripture. Number two, humble yourself under the hand of God. The hand of God. You see, in Scripture, the hand of God is a example. It's a picture of what God allows in your life. 
sometimes God allows things in your life that are pretty overbearing, doesn't it? Doesn't he? I mean, there's things that happen and it's like, wait a minute, this is way too much. I can't do this. And so I humble myself and I admit to God, I can't fix it. I can't control it. God, I gotta have you, Lord, or I'm through. I'm done. I need you, God. Those things that God has allowed in your life for a reason to bring you to a place where you are humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you. And then thirdly, humble yourself under the word of God, the hand of God, and then thirdly, the church of God. Let me love you just for a moment and tell you that you don't get to do whatever you want to do. We're not free moral agents. God has established order in the home. God has established order in the church. And I say this because I've seen it come to pass in our ministry, especially in the last five years, that you get a whole lot more out of gospel light when we humble ourselves under the authority of the pastors and the elders that God has given us. Scripture says in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17 that if you obey them who have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account They may do it with joy, not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. And so we have a wonderful church. We have a wonderful group of pastors here. I've never, I've never seen our church at a better place with leadership, with elders. I've placed myself under the authority of our elders. I'm so thankful this is no longer a one-man show. And it never was intentionally. But I think it's really dangerous when pastors have not put themselves under the authority of not just God and the Bible and the hand of God, but but the authority of the church. It's a good place to be. It's a safe place to be in a healthy church with godly elders and pastors. So I encourage you to do that. So maybe in just a moment, we can practice humility. At this time, we normally are are dimming the lights about right now so we can do that. And we do that just so that we can be in more of a spirit of humility, a a moment of response. And so I'm going to ask if you would consider something with me. Just consider it. You don't have to do it. We have carpet. It's not a hard floor right now, so it's easy to use it as as an altar. Your seats are padded. But I just feel like right now that if I invite you to get as low as you can where you are and pray, it might be a good moment for you to begin to identify the areas in your life that you need to humble before God right now. I just want to invite you, whether it's at the altar or in your seat, I'm going to pray. I'm not going to actually say like I normally do, let's stand. Although by the end of the service, it probably would be okay for everybody to be standing and worshiping. I get it. But but could I just for a few minutes invite us to get as low as we can instead of standing? Let's just take a moment. In fact, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and get on my knees and pray for you and pray for me and pray for us. And as the worship team sings... If it's the altar or the pew, or if you just want to sit, that's fine. But let's just get low before God today, shall we? Father, God, I come to you today as a humble servant, not worthy of this, 
but thankful for your grace that has made it possible for me to be not just a follower of Christ, but a pastor, a husband, a dad, and a friend. God, I'm not a good one apart from your grace. I'm not great, God. And God, when I do things in my flesh, what I, I, can, I can quickly mess things up, and I admit that. And so, God, I humble myself right now in front of my congregation under the word of God, under the hand of God, under the church of God. And I ask you, please, God, to help me, strengthen me, give me, God, what I need. Because apart from you, I am nothing. We are nothing. God, minister to this church right now. May we humble ourselves in this Thanksgiving season. And may this be, Lord, a time where we begin to set an example to this really arrogant, fight-filled, debate-filled, hate-filled world. May they see humble, humility, Christian acts from this church and from these people. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name.